Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Today, I have the great pleasure of welcoming David Fuller to the show. David, welcome. Hey, Bryn. Uh, first off, I'd like to um, give you a big thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Um, I'm a, an enormous fan of the Rebel Wisdom Challenge uh, channel. Um, I think it's quite incredible, the amazing people and minds and brains and thoughts and perspectives that you are bringing together there. It certainly shaped me and shaped this uh, podcast for myself. So I thank you hugely for that. So um, as people may or may not know, you are a journalist by background working for the BBC and Channel 4. And one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about um, today is that we're living in very obviously very changeable and chaotic times and at times like that people want to know what's going on they want a sense of certainty in their life and so we look to the media whether it's the traditional um mainstream or legacy media as you call it or whether we're on facebook and youtube and podcasts and whatever and what i'm noticing is that that is beginning to really confuse people, confuse their frames of reference for the world and fragment, fragment their thinking. And so what I thought would be really useful today is if we could explore what are some of the sort of underlying assumptions and coordinates that are going on, which are then uh, on the outside, and then sort of look at what's going on, on the inside as people try to meet that and they get confused. Um, so you're up for the challenge. <laughs> Give it a go. Give it a go. Solving solving the problem of truth together. Yeah, well, yeah. There we go. We'll have it done in 60 minutes. Two people, <laughs> two white yeah. middle class, middle-aged white blokes. Um, so one of the things I'd first like to, to, to just real basic coordinate here I'd like to start off is, is just recognising that the media plays a key role in shaping how we perceive reality and so therefore it actually it shapes our reality as we see it is is that true would you agree with that yeah i mean we kind of use i mean try not to use too much complicated terminology but mm. we talk about sense making a lot on the channel and rebel wisdom mm. and like the media is one aspect and it's we often hear about things through various forms of, of media, which is now obviously expanded way beyond newspapers, TV to Google and Facebook is where we get now 90% or, or something astronomical. Like most, most things are coming through social media channels now rather than, I mean, very few people are watching like legacy TV channels. Mm. Um, so, and it's, it's basically about where we, approxying our sense making but mm. we can't go through the world we have we have to proxy our sense making we have to take some things on trust we have to yeah we have to uh, whether that's academia whether that's the media whether that's our, our friends opinions on facebook the world is too complex for us to analyze every single piece of information that's coming in mm. and there's increased skepticism towards legacy media, what some people call mainstream media, but I, I don't like using that term because I think it it's too broad and too general. It just sort of 
it doesn't really mean anything. It, it's too all-encompassing. Um, so there's, a, there's an increased skepticism towards there is a perspective that is being pushed through legacy media, which I think is kind of true. I think it's more complex than that. There's multiple different perspectives, mm. but there is the sense that there are people are seeing the set of assumptions behind a lot of the, the, the legacy media that we're being given. And I'd say those assumptions include the ones that I'm really interested in. A lot of people look at mainstream or legacy media and think, oh, well, those political assumptions or those political interests, and that's what's going on. For me, the more interesting set of assumptions are materialism, mm. scientism, um, kind of a very limited, atomistic, rational way of looking at the world, which is kind of implicit in a lot of our health understanding. It's implicit mm. in a lot of our understanding of what you might call spirituality, transformation. And I'm really interested in like, what are those topics where you can see another way of looking at the world? So those, those would be a set of assumptions. And that for me is also where I think things are breaking down more concretely is I think there's a whole system of kind of mental, rational, atomistic consciousness that kind of thinkers like Ken Wilber have talked about and this sort of sense of that we need a deeper conception of who we are as people, a, a, a paradigm shift in the sort of cliched way of looking at it that I think is we're seeing a lot of the structures that are built around an old way of looking at the world, an old paradigm breaking down. And that's part of the sense-making crisis. That's part of the problem of truth, because I think increasingly these old structures are failing to perceive things accurately. So when you say breakdown, just so we're clear, is that the fact that the story that's coming across is not relatable to how my everyday life is panning out? That's part of it. Yeah. But there's also factors like concentrating on the wrong metrics for a long time leads to really bad, like we're, we're in the middle of a mental health crisis, we're in the middle of a meaning crisis, we're in the middle of a purpose crisis, because the things that we thought were meaningful, like the only things that we're measuring are not necessarily what makes life meaningful. They're not what, yeah. what give us purpose there. And I mean, it's a huge, huge topic and people like John Viveki who's put together a 50-hour series yeah. called Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, are digging into it much deeper than I ever could. And he traces it back to the whole history of Western philosophy and this sense. I'd guide people towards someone like Richard Tarnas, who talked about how the Western mind has created a, a real prison for itself in terms of materialism primarily, but a very narrow conception, a very narrow conception of who we are and what we could be. Mm. And so that, I think, is the deepest layer and the problem of finding truth and the problem of sense-making. But the most, the most obvious layer that we encounter on a daily basis, and you pointed to it at the beginning, it's like there's a, there's a systematic layer, but there's also a, an inner layer as well of like, what are, what are these new technologies doing to us? This, mm. this sense that our attention is being hijacked, this, our attention is being fragmented, is being mined effectively by Silicon Valley. So we, yeah. we all know that the natural world is being exploited, but the inner world of attention, <laughs> concentration, has, has been increasingly mined over the last 20, 30 years by Silicon Valley, and they're very, very good at it. 
and it's fundamentally turned us into different kinds of people. Like mm. we have shorter attention spans. We are more outraged because outrage is, is something that keeps us coming back to Facebook. It keeps us coming back to Twitter. We get involved in um, what Tristan Harris has called the, bat, the, the race to the bottom of the brainstem, yeah. which is hacking outrage. It's hacking effectively tribal, fight or flight, primal, narcissistic triggers to then keep us coming back to, to social media. So you've got, you've got the problem of sense-making or the problem of making sense of the world or the problem of truth is multi-multi-layered. Yeah. But it, yeah, and it, 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 it draws on all of these different factors. But it's difficult to even engage with any of those layers if your nervous system is fired up and your perception is closed. And, and it's also, diff it's just difficult to perceive the problem because part of the problem is the difficulty in perceiving it. Yeah. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I've recently worked. Like it's difficult to make sense of the problem when the problem is the problem of sense making. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. That sounds uh, recursive and bizarre. It is, and it, it and it has to be because even getting a grip on it is is very very difficult. It is, it is, because we are contained within our you know our, our frames uh, that we've we've developed into our frames of. Um, of how we make sense of the world. I mean, a great example uh, where, where I ran up against this just recently is that um, helping to uh, develop, this is a real basic example, helping to develop an app with vegetable growers here in Western Australia. Now we have English speaking growers and Vietnamese growers and the app developer was saying, well, it's easy. We can just, um, we can just change all the English words into Vietnamese. And I was going, no, you may have to reconfigure how the app works. He's like, well, why? He goes, because they just think differently. And that just didn't compute. And in that moment, I was like, oh, wow. Here's just a basic example in the workplace, let alone how are the, the different frames of, of, of dealing with things. It's interesting um, picking up on some of the things you were saying earlier, I've just worked my way through the documentary series, Can't Get You Out of My Head by Adam Curtis, um, where one of the ma major parts he's looking at is that you, you talk about, um, you know, our attentions being systematically extracted and mined. Um, it's very interesting that he draws the parallels between um, imperialism and colonization and, and, and almost starts, he draws a lot on the British empire of how we, you know, we brought civilization to the world and we were measuring, you know, measuring the skulls of people all around the world and measuring and trying to colonize, understand. And then that the, taking that theme that we've then moved into almost like an American imperialism where it's very focused on individualization. And I've got, really got a sense that we were being individualized and that our feelings were becoming even more important than they may need to be. I don't know, that's a topic for another thing. But, and then now we're going even further into actually colonizing our attention and, and our inner world. And certainly when, coming out of watching Social Dilemma, which you know, Tristan Harris, my sense from 
sort of psychological background is is that we're almost we're almost replacing our own subconscious and collective conscious with an almost um uh a technological one does that does that make sense Hmm. well i mean our tools change us Hmm. like and our smartphones are changing us in ways that are completely it's a it's an experiment i think jonathan height talks about it as a multi-year experiment with no control group and um and, irre- and essentially that is irreversible but that things it, it, it has fundamentally changed like we outsource things this is something that um i can't remember the name of the guy who wrote it the, oh henriquez i think um talked about us being weird we are the weirdest people in the world so western industrialized educated R&D, whatever the other two are. Right, yes. um, but effectively, what we have been doing since the beginning of the Western experiment is outsourcing a lot of our inner functions into institutions mainly, like yeah. democracy, law and order. Like we, we've systematically outsourced a lot of our, of our kind of inner structure in the past onto external institutions. And now we're doing the same with our smartphones. Yeah. And our smartphones are becoming... A kind, we, we are, we're already kind of cyborgs in a way. Yeah. I, and that's a, that's a fun, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I feel my, um, the amount of attention span I have on a daily basis is fundamentally different from how it was a while ago. I can't remember the last time I was able to sit down and read a whole book. Hmm. And that's unusual for me. Well, I think it was only two days ago. I actually bravely switched the phone off the notifications and worked on a document for two hours. I felt strangely good after it. Um, it's interesting what you're saying about the, the introduction of technology. I mean, certainly from that social dilemma film, you get, you get the clear view that AI is not coming through the front door a la Terminator. It's sneaking its way through the back door through our human weakness. And it's interesting you talk about the talk about that you know it's a it's a multi-year experiment with no no control group or anything because it kind of leaves me at times when I look at people getting outraged and I might sound like a real middle-aged man but there are times when I sit there and just go where are the grown-ups who who who's got when will sense prevail here and 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 we realize that our attention is is declining our we're getting emotionally hijacked we're getting played left right and center um whether it's clever advertising whether it's um you know the media telling us this thing and then that thing and then another thing and we never really dial back to what they were telling us last week and how that's incongruent to what they're telling me this week um it's scary Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you asked where the grown-ups are. I mean, the grown-ups in this world are people like Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, they are not grown up in any meaningful way. Like, you just look at the guy and you're like, I mean, our old, the old media moguls like Rupert Murdoch were kind of quite scary people. But in a way, I think someone like Mark Zuckerberg is more scary. Like the sort of almost like android 
mentality that just yeah it's uh, i don't know it yeah you look at silicon valley silicon valley are learning the hard way a lot of things that were learned by media over the course of centuries and software is eating the world like this idea that software is basically demolishing all of these old businesses from taxis through uber to um media in particular like it, it is the death of a lot of different media uh businesses because they're being destroyed or undercut by google and, and facebook hmm. so as i said earlier on uh, i know you've talked recently about the the failure conditions of legacy media of alternative media and it's i guess for somebody who's listening to this conversation for uh, and actually interacting with the idea of sense making and the and what goes on in the media can you just provide some simple coordinates as to what's going on and why people are finding this so bloody confusing at the moment um sure well i think we're seeing the decline of the old structure increasingly fast mm. so let's talk about two let's separate it up let's talk about yeah. the legacy media and why that is increasingly failing and then the alternative media and why that what are the failure conditions of that i think mm. and they're interrelated like some of the reasons why the legacy media are failing are the same dynamics that we're seeing on the alternative media but effectively there's a financial crisis that means that the advertising is being advertising is being gobbled up by facebook and and google primarily so the business models are increasingly fragile for for legacy media which means that they are increasingly chasing smaller and smaller groups of people which means that they by definition and some of them have got subscription models still but the problem with a subscription model is that it's easy to lose subscribers and very hard to gain them so if they put out so increasingly they are preaching to the converted and not featuring like if the new york times leans left yeah, it will increasingly lean left, and the, if it if it does a sort of sympathetic article with someone like Jordan Peterson, as a, as an idea, just as an example, they will lose subscribers. Yeah, and so the there's an increasing incentive to to mine, to only preach to the converted and not to have a sort of broad church of opinion, and so the the idea of any media institution that's having a broad a broad spectrum of opinion or a broad spectrum of perspectives is now less and less supported by the business model. Hmm. And you're also seeing increasingly good quality journalists from these legacy media companies striking off on their own and doing Substack or podcasts. And that, and then you're also having ideological capture of these, of these places. Yeah. On the right, you had, a lot of um, a lot of media organisations becoming increasingly supportive of Trump, or Trump was a thing that kind of um, split a lot of a lot of the place on the right. You've got kind of ideological capture on the left, what some people call wokeness, and there was a whole series of incidents last summer in newsrooms around the states where people like Barry Weiss 
and Andrew Sullivan were forced out. And so you're getting an increasing ideological monoculture inside a lot of news organizations, especially in America. And mm. I think America is driving, America is, is pretty much driving the media landscape, the media ecology for everyone else. So what happens there really does matter. Mm. And it will So be you're having all of these factors that are, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the other irony of Silicon Valley eating the world and software eating the world is that suddenly we're all Americans. We're mm. all being subject to these culture war dynamics that pretty much, certainly in the UK, we used to kind of look over at America with a certain amount of superiority because they were kind of arguing over things that we would never argue over, like abortion yeah. or gun control or all of these kind of issues that um, seem to kind of be polarizing and driving American society apart that we are not issues in Europe, for example. Yeah. But I think increasingly we are now being dragged into American culture war over certain issues. And now we're uh, all- because I think because we're in we're all in the same. We've got the globalization of information and that means that we've caught a lot of the American sicknesses. Yeah. So hence why we're all now having to do unconscious bias training and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. I guess. Um, as I listen to you talk about the, the impact of the of the you know the the economic rationale and the business model in and of itself, let's just be clear then that that means we're getting we're getting news through one lens which will be appealing to keep somebody as a subscriber, which in and of itself will start to narrow someone's perception of the world, um, and as particularly given. That you know, we're now in a we're now in a world where I'm consuming and reading stuff off here, right? Um, my own individual device. You know, we're not as you know when you and I grew up, where it's the six o'clock news, which was every you know, it's like if you watch the news, that's what everybody watched, and that's what they could, that's what they consumed, and so there was like a unique point of reference. We're now individualized, and and yeah, so we've got this monetary incentive, which will be backed up with an algorithm, which gives us more of what we want. And so it's little wonder that we start to become more polarized, more insular. And, and plus, you know, given what you were saying earlier on about being emotionally, emotionally hijacked, is we've now got very fragile nervous systems that are not up for wider views. So yeah, is that what you're seeing as well as the sort of, response to that yeah a, a good someone i'd really highly recommend people check out is jordan hall's concept there's a documentary put out called deep code jordan hall's concept of the blue church mm. which i think is a really useful it's a really useful mental model to understand what's going on and he talks about how in the past the task of coordinating large groups of people involved coordination of information and that's effectively what we had up until relatively recently and now we have this fragmentation of information and i wanted to sort of pick up and say mm. so you've got the problems of the of the legacy media but the, the the problem with the alternative media is in many ways worse better mm. and worse i mean the the, the amazing thing is that the decentralization of media means that anyone can start a YouTube channel. Anyone can be their own broadcaster on Facebook or Twitter. 
which is brilliant because we've got far more perspectives now. We've got far more capacity for other voices or other perspectives to enter, like Rebel Wisdom being a perfect example. We've, we talk about spirituality, we talk about transformation, we try and bring a deeper lens to the cultural conversation than is offered through the, the legacy media. And that's fantastic. But what I see happening in the legacy media is, sorry, in the, in the alternative media is these little ecosystems arise and then the incentive structures mean that you get all of these things like audience capture, you get effectively the incentive structure leads away from, from challenging conversations or from really seeking truth. Hmm. There's a few, there's a few things that few uh, examples that, that go against that, but generally speaking, that's what I've seen, especially accelerated since the beginning of COVID is alternative perspectives to the mainstream. The mainstream have, have coalesced around certain narratives and alternative perspectives like anti-vaccine, for example, or questioning yeah. um, lockdown skepticism or all of these things. Which I think, well, I, I think all of these, all of these perspectives should be investigated or should be part of the conversation. But I think the system has broken down in terms of interrogating them. And so the mm -hmm. marketplace of ideas only works if those ideas are challenged and interrogated. Whereas I see all of these, all of these kind of conspiracy minded podcasts or anti-vaccine podcasts that there's no incentive for them to challenge the people they get on, but they can get on people who are challenging these things and suddenly they'll get up to like a million, two million, three million views because they're offering something that the mainstream is not offering, mm. but the, the function of actually check, of actually interrogating the information or checking information is breaking down almost completely because there's no incentive structure for them to challenge things. And so you just, what I'm seeing happen is these ecosystems of belief and ecosystems of truth that just don't interact with each other in any meaningful way. And that I think is really dangerous. Mm. And that's ultimately, I mean, my, my friend and like amazing polymath thinker, Daniel Schmachtenberger talks about, he, he's deeply in, interested in existential risk. He's deeply interested in all of these different factors that kind of may lead to human extinction and are the biggest problems in the world. And he's now focused in on the problem of sense-making as being the fundamental one that if we cannot solve that, we cannot solve any of the others because mm. we, cannot, we cannot even think about coordinating to deal with climate change or any, any other problem, even COVID, because the fragmentation of the information landscape means that there, we can't agree. Even masks, even lockdown, even the vaccines are leading to huge fragmentation and different truth bubbles and if we can't fix that, if we can't agree on what is true, then we can't agree on what we even need to do about any of the problems. Because half the people don't even believe that they're the right problems or that, they're, that you're being lied to by the establishment or whatever. I mean, it's the most fundamental thing that needs to be dealt with before we move on to any of the other issues. Yeah, it's... Um, it... Personally, it's very refreshing for me to hear that because too often, and I, I, I myself have been, you know, swept up in things on the on the internet. I think I don't think there's anybody who will listen to this podcast who has not at one point been swept up in, 
in in oh wow this person sounds like me i can relate with them and off we go and then i listen to them more and more and more and and then all of a sudden the bubble cracks and and then i suddenly realize oh there wasn't one big thing there wasn't one you know the we, we, we seem to be very scared of complexity at the moment and we like to reduce things. A previous podcast guest of mine, um, Rod Griffiths, challenged me with the question, what's the opposite of complexity? And his answer is reducing things as opposed to simplicity. And so I get I get wary nowadays of trying to reduce things, but, but it, it's so refreshing to hear learned people like Daniel come back to sense-making um because I, just on that complexity point before we move on one yeah. thing you might be you might find useful to clarify that is yeah i think it's dave snowden and a few others who, who talk about complexity theory say i wouldn't they summarized um they summarize it as a kind of aphorism but what you want is the simplicity on the other side of complexity hmm. that who was it that said i wouldn't i I wouldn't give a fig for the simplicity on this side of complexity, but I would give my life for the simplicity on the other side of complexity. Yeah. Is that the difference between simplicity and simplification? Yes. But there's yeah. a pre-trans fallacy with, with simplicity, I mm. think. Mm. But I guess the, the point I was trying to get to was that in, in a world, in, in, in a reduced world where constantly bombarded with sales and marketing of if you just do this one thing then everything will be all right you know just this one thing and then you'll have you know washboard abs or whatever you know that we see over and over and over again on on online marketing to actually come to a place where we can truthfully go and, and, and go right this is actually a core fundamental issue if we can get into the sense making, our individual sense making, let alone our collective sense making, then maybe we've got a chance. Then maybe we can move forwards. Because I think, if anything, that you know, the we, we've got off pretty lightly in terms of lockdowns here in Western Australia. We had one last year, more of a stay-at-home period, and then we had a five-day lockdown. And lo and behold, as soon as our premier said something, bang, everyone's in the supermarkets buying toilet rolls and, and 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 it's just like you know uh, and and then you know we end up with the the multipolar multipolar trap where it's like well i do need to wipe my ass and we are pretty low so i'm gonna have to go as well now so everybody gets dragged into it and then you stand there and you just go shit we've got no chance if if, if we can't even get the sh get our shit together over toilet roll um, and it wasn't even like our premier said that the supermarkets were closing or anything. We couldn't go. So, so to, yeah, to, to, to actually sit down and actually have a conversation and, and focus on our own sense-making. I mean, to be transparent with, with listeners, I have just finished going through the Rebel Wisdom eight-week exploration into my own sense-making and it's been um, nothing short of, um, I don't want to use crappy words like awesome, but it, um, it's been quite changing, life-changing, more than any personal development 
personal development style course because as we got to in our discussions the way we make sense of the world is possibly the most intimate thing we can do because and, and to share that with somebody else to talk about how we make sense of the world because it's it, it opens up the opportunity to look stupid like we don't know what we're doing um like we've been winging it and making it up and the truth is that we're all like that but to actually sit down and, and say i really don't know how to make sense of this i don't know what to do it was an amazing it was an amazing weight off to be able to just talk about that and to talk about how confusing the world can be and how confusing the media is which is why i was so very keen to talk to you now Hmm. Hmm. So, yes, I can't talk myself into a corner there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wonder whether it might be fruitful to just talk about the, um, like, because because that that course in a way was structured around. I mean, the conversation that we're having is mirrors that in a way because it goes from inner to outer. Yeah, which is why I think. I, I was on a clubhouse event the other day talking about the problem of journalism, the problem of sense making. And when it came to the end, we were talking about solutions. And this was with a, this was with a guy called Andrew Morantz, who is a New Yorker journalist, sort of very um, straight down the line, traditional media guy. And I kind of felt like I'm going to get a little bit woo here or I, mm. he's going to assume that it's getting a little bit um, because my solution effectively the solution was i don't see how you get away from a personal growth psychological angle to this but no. you have to become more aware about of how you're being manipulated by yourself like effectively yeah. it's not just it's not just that you're being manipulated by big forces beyond your control even though you are yes there's there's um stanford engineers there's a department at Stanford University called Captology, where the entire and that and they have trained a lot of the, the key people within Silicon Valley. Captology, literally, like how do you capture people? And they look at um, slot machines. They look at kind of all of these tactics from casinos of like, like when you when you open Twitter or you open social media and it's kind of it waits for a little while before it tells you how many notifications you've got. And that's from slot machines. That's a way of kind of keeping you. Dialing, dialing you in so you keep coming back. There's the little thing where you're on WhatsApp or you're on any other on Messenger and it's, it shows you the three little dots when someone's tapping. That's keeping you, that's keeping your attention there as well. Like all of these things are incredibly well-designed and well-engineered to keep your attention. But at the same time, you have to be aware of what it is in you that's being hooked into that. Mm. So you are you are being manipulated, but you are also manipulating yourself. And that's what they're getting you to do. And then the other, the other aspect of it is, how is it changing the way that we're communicating when we're communicating for an audience? I think one of the big problems is that so much of our communication now is, is done based on what we think other people want to see. Yes. So much of it becomes performative. So much of it becomes virtue signaling. So much of it becomes... Like, I think what I fear is that 
especially for the younger generation, we're opening up this yawning gap between what people actually believe and what they are professing to believe online. Mm. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily even know. They don't know what their true beliefs are. They don't know what their true feelings are. Because what we've established is there are certain things that it's okay to say online. There are certain doubts that it's not okay to express. There are certain beliefs that are not okay to express. And we're remove, and because there's a permanent record of everyone's thought, we're removing the opportunity for people to even learn, to be wrong, to say something that may not be perfectly expressed, that may not be politically correct, even as a process of expressing it and then potentially changing your mind in the future. Like this is the thing that is really concerning. And I, I mean, I consider myself probably in, in the top, certainly in the top cohort of people who have the ability to express myself and feel like I'm a trained journalist, I've been writing stuff for 20 years. And there are still things that I feel uncomfortable about expressing on social media, probably less and less, to be honest, as I've increasingly blotted my copybook in various places and um, showed myself to be, yeah, showed myself to be an unreliable uh, in terms of my my adherence to the current dominant ideology. But at the same time, like these, this sort of sense of the hollowing out of, of, of who we are and what we are and the sort of this systematic hijacking of our worst aspects our narcissism, our mm. performativity, our tribal in-groupish nurse, like all of that is, is incredibly damaging to society. And I think it's why we are all sensing that we we're in these kind of traps. Um, this sort of sense of like, yeah, captology works and we're now captured well we're at a place now where uh, I was was only saying this uh, to a friend today I feel like thanks to COVID or the impact I feel like I've I've been severed from my past almost even even the past of what it was doing what I was doing in January of last year before things got to where they are but, and everything before I feel like we're, we're severed from the past we're at a place where there are no there's uncertainty about the future there are no major ideologies to buy into even on a bigger bigger scale and so there is so the, the future how can we plan for the future how can we buy into and congregate and collect around and act together if there is nothing there? And yet I'm stuck in this ever-evolving present where I've been individualized. Um, and on top of that, we have this, um, I'm going to use the word predatory technology, which encourages, like you said, the worst of humanity, you use narcissism, and, and let's remember that you know, Narcissus died because he fell in love with his shadow, uh, not his shadow, his reflection, and 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 yeah, we we're heading for huge existential crisis because we're we're putting this stuff out, but we don't really know who we are. Part of that means that we need to have space 
to explore who we are, fuck up and say it right and wrong sometimes and change our point of view and real time learn. And, and, and that's been one of the great things that we've done in our actual real time pod discussions during the sense making. Um, but we, I feel like we're almost stuck in this nihilist groundhog day almost. <laughs> nihilist emotionally hijacked groundhog day because there is no past. That's part of the game. This We had mm-hmm. a great interview with Tristan Harris where he said that's part of the game that social media plays is that it gives us more of what we already know and what we already think mm-hmm. because that's ultimately what we like we have to deliberately steer into discomfort otherwise and, and we don't like doing that. We don't like finding out that we were wrong about something. We don't like finding out that the people that we've grown to love to hate actually might have a point about certain things, which is why on the sense-making course, we've got the reverse media diet. Yeah. So you deliberately expose yourself to the other side or things that you wouldn't normally see. So as Tristan Harris said, effectively, we're what is... The incentive structure of social media is that if they give you more of what you already know, that keeps you coming back. That's how we're wired. So we have to make a deliberate effort to steer away from that. Um, and it, you're right. So effectively, it is, it is a groundhog day. We are, we are stuck in a self-reinforcing feedback loop and filter bubble of what we already believe. As Daniel Schmachtenberger says in one of the films that we put out, if you're a... Trump supporting um, kind of farmer, for example, from Texas, your, your Facebook feed is probably full of people disrespecting cops constantly. Yeah. Whereas if you're in Oakland or Brooklyn, your, your feed is probably full of black people being assaulted with cops continually. And you're getting traumatized, remotely traumatized by that to the point where you want to get out and express yourself. Like, and these, these realities are simultaneously existing and there's no way that they're coming together anymore. Hmm. This is where, because if you, if, even if you sit with this at this point, it, it's quite depressing, quite despairing, isn't it? Hmm. And, you know, you, talk, you talked about going into the woo or, sounding out there this is where part of me and i and, and i question myself as to whether this is brin's hope playing out um but there's part of me that just has to let go at this point to um the greater human spirit and hope that you know, and I'm talking about something possibly bigger than consciousness that seems to be, uh, when I say consciousness, I'm talking the bigger consciousness, consciousness as in what's getting hijacked right now, the top end of our conscious experience, that the, there's a bigger part in consciousness that will at some point push back and go, right, enough's enough. Um. You know, I, I, in, in last week's podcast and uh, more, more and more, I'm now pointing forward to the hypothesis that we're the canary birds in the mine shaft, that, that mm. mental health, increased depressions, anxiety and suicide is an appropriate response to what's going on. It's not a failure in the human. 
it's a failure in what's going on around us. Where do you see it playing out? <laughs> That's me. Um, yeah, I mean, I think America is further down that, that path. I mean, it's very easy to make an anti-capitalist argument yeah. here. And I, 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 I have sympathy with that, but I think it's a narrow, I think it's, a, it's too narrow. Because ultimately, so what we're talking about with sense-making, that's effectively the source code that we're running, sped up by Silicon Valley utopianism and Silicon Valley kind of weightless, um, hyper-capitalist expansion libertarianism. But effectively, the source code I don't think it's ultimately a I don't think it's ultimately just an anti-capitalist point, but you could look at it. You could say, well, it's the drugs companies, it's the it's um, the opioid crisis. It's all of these kind of ways of numbing ourselves. Hmm. Addiction It's addiction in all of these different forms. And addiction is a very profitable thing. Yes. But what it's feeding on, I think, is a fundamental dislocation. And it's a spiritual religious dislocation. It's it's a it's a concept of humanity as only being um, it's a very limited conception of humanity. It's a very limited conception of the world that reduces everything down to only what can be measured and what can be exploited. Mm. That for me is not fundamentally a capitalist thing. It's it's about this sort of split in the philosophical worldview that under underpins it that dates back 300 400 500 years like mm. I, I, the, the free market as a thing i think is the is one of the things that has the potential to generate some of the solutions that we're looking for but there is a there is a worldview that yeah there's a reductive worldview that i think can only be shifted by a much deeper spiritual transformation in the way that we conceive of ourselves and the way that we effectively the illusion of separation. Yes. Because we can only really exploit the world when we believe ourselves to be fundamentally separate from it, hmm. but we can only actually have that experience of connection. Like we can talk about it and a lot of people talk about it without actually feeling it or without actually experiencing it. But I think once we've really experienced it and once we've really aligned ourselves to that, principle and that that felt experience of connection i think it fundamentally changes the way we're able to act in the world and how we um yeah how, how we behave hmm. but we have a whole set of institutions and industries that, that are built on that previous worldview and that previous model hmm. yeah and it's only at that point where can we find new ideologies to emerge from within us. Well, hopefully not ideologies. Yeah, sorry, poor choice of words. Um, yeah, because I've been starting to really play with this idea of allowing things to emerge, both, mm. not just individually, but what are the conditions to allow that collectively? And, and it was mulling around in my head before reading the work of Tyson Young Porter, and then more so coming on the sense-making course mm. and I, I'm getting more and more curious around what are the conditions that bring that around obviously you know we're now into collective sense-making hmm 
Where does um, where does someone go from here? First steps, basic steps, other than sign up and come and dive into an eight-week course with Rebel Wisdom. Where can someone go to start to regain a little bit of their agency and start to reduce the confusion and disorientation? Because we, we've gone right to the bottom of the rabbit hole almost there. If we yeah, I mean, I, I'd say that for me, like the beginning of Rebel Wisdom was, was quite intertwined with the films that I made about Jordan Peterson. Yeah. And I still think that Jordan Peterson, a lot of his work offers a real, like it's very practical. It's kind of pay attention to your resentments, clean your room, pay attention to the words that you're speaking. And that, that I think is definitely a key part of making sense of the world is, is, is trying to establish a relationship with yourself that is based on truth hmm. and to be able to perceive viscerally and intuitively when you're speaking the truth and when you're not and developing that felt sense. And we talk as well in, in the sense-making course, we use a process called inquiry, which is when you start to kind of in, build that felt relationship and then try and follow the thread or whatever wants to un unfold within you and then also in dialogue with others. Like that, that I think is a key. If we're going to start building, we have to start where we are. Hmm. Like I think all of these grand visions for fixing the information ecology and like they're great and I, I'm really interested in that topic, but ultimately I think the nature of decentralized media and the nature of the shift from broadcast to decentralized means that we all have to do the work. And I think the work has to start there. It has to start with what are the things. And again, I come back, I think Jordan Peterson articulated it incredibly well. I know a lot of people probably have a block with, with him, the personality, but I think if you look at what he was actually saying, like he was, he was framing a lot of timeless wisdom in a really compelling and well-articulated way but pay attention to the things that you know that you should do that you're not doing. Start developing a, a, a relationship with the inner conscience and the, the part of yourself that, that knows. Start to feel into whether you're speaking the truth and whether you aren't. Like build up that relationship in yourself. And that has to be the fundamental. Learn when you're using language to exploit and when you're using language to express look at the things that you're not saying look at the things that you're not articulating that you're afraid to and and start to start to do that hmm. learn whether people are having a relationship with the with your persona or with your with the person that you really are because if they're having a relationship with your persona or with the person you're pretending to be the personality that you're articulating to the world that isn't really who you are that's a very hollow place to be yeah and i think that fundamentally we get, we're now getting back to, I think, a big part of the, um, the depression, the anxiety, the mental health crisis is because I think a lot of people are not who they are. They're pretending to be something, and that's a very depressing thing to be, a very anxiety-producing place to be when you're constantly pretending. It's, it's fucking exhausting if you're constantly <laughs> pretending to be, if you're constantly pretending to be something that you're not, 
And I think we're in, a, we're in a world where we're encouraged all the time to pretend to be something that we're not. Buy this, get this, do this. And it's all, we've entire industries based off exploiting that gap between who we are and who we want to be. Mm. And so fundamentally that process of cleaning our internal room and articulating to the best of our abilities starts to, starts to do that work. And I think there's an awful lot of work that we all have to do. And it's an ongoing process. Like I would never, I don't think any of us would ever say like we've, we've done that, we've made it, but I certainly feel personally further along that route than I, than I was 10, 20 years ago, but it's an ongoing thing. It's, it's, it's an ever, it's an ever increasing task, I guess. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's, yeah, ongoing maintenance. It's being human doing life. Yeah. Hmm. Great stuff. So the last question I ask all my guests, which is a hypothetical one, but I always enjoy finding out what the, what the answer is, is that if I could just slow everyone down for five or 10 minutes and then David could just upload a question into the collective consciousness so everyone just sat quietly and thought about that, what would it be? There's a few things that come to mind. One of which is how do I know, how do I know what is true? One of which would be, am I, whose life am I leading? What are the things that I know that I should do that I'm not doing? I can only give you one question. Which one are you going with? <laughs> Probably the last one because it's more practical. Mm. We 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 run we run in person retreats, and obviously the we've got a digital campfire where we do different kind of exercises and processes. And one of them, like we're always looking for questions, like that we give to a group to to think about. And we try and avoid ones that take people up into their head. Like mm. you, you shouldn't, you should look for a question that's not disembodied, that's not purely propositional. Like you don't want a question that you give to someone where they're just, it just sends them into a like laundry list of things. What you want is one that really gets people to wrestle with something meaningful. Like you're trying to engage the full person. Um, and so we often work with the shadow or we work with vulnerability and um, yeah, we, we, we try and take, take people out of the, the conceptual. Um, I wonder whether that question is, is going to do that or not. Um, maybe you could say, what do I, what do I feel? What is my conscience telling me that I'm not doing? Mm. Mm. that I should be I like it 
It's been um, it's been an interesting conversation, far ranging. <laughs> I, I, I hope I'm, it kind of went all over the place, but I hope it did. It did. But then useful. it did. It did. Um, but at the same time, this this isn't a straightforward topic. Um, even bringing in the word sense making, I found is is it to me it's been paradoxical because as, as as much as I would like to, you know, get my arms around it and be able to articulate it so I can make sense of it to myself and and to others, you know, as you bring a subject into the object, um, the moment you think you've oh that's great you can articulate something the next minute off it goes, and so whilst this may have been a disorientated conversation at one point, I think that there's actually, there'll actually be an emerging thread in it once I go back and look at it again. I hope so. <laughs> which, which, <laughs> which um, yeah, but then again, look, not when I open the conversation up again, too often I find that people want to go into a conversation with a specific agenda and a specific outcome and they don't allow something to become far ranging and go from here to there and allow emergence to occur. And sometimes that's tidy and sometimes that's not tidy. Mm. And I think I've learned to become unapologetic for that. So <laughs> I don't know how that sits with you, David. Yeah. Never apologize, never explain. Indeed. So if people want to find you, obviously they can go to YouTube and rebelwisdom.com. Uh, yeah, go to Rebel Wisdom. Um, the website we, we've kind of relaunched a little while ago. It's quite easy. I'd probably direct people there because the films are arranged by kind of category in a slightly better way than on YouTube. So mm. check that out. Uh, it's also got links to all the other things that we're doing. So mm. check it out. I guess if you're locally here in Western Australia and inclined to go on the sense making course, by all means, reach out and I can provide more insight yeah no it was a really cool thing that you did to have a a little cohort of people who did it together so that's that yeah sounds really cool pretty special david thank you very much for your time cheers bro